Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm lucky enough today to be joined by Michelle Desser. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm great. Now, Michelle is calling us from beautiful, sunny San Diego. Uh, You're lucky, Michelle, because as we speak, it's already 110 out here in Las Vegas, and it's supposed to get to 116 today, which is really exciting for me. But uh, you're lucky (laughs) enough to live less than a mile from the beach, right? Uh, I do live less than a mile beach, but I should actually forewarn you, we are in a heat wave here ourselves, you know, so temperatures of, you know, in the 90s, and they are doing some rolling blackouts. So if I just happen to completely go away, don't worry, I'll be back in 60 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's a <laughs> California speak for no AC when you when you most need it, right? <laughs> exactly. It sucks. Yeah. Anyways, well, Michelle, uh, we know each other from functional movement systems and uh, and the SFMA. Um, so I will say you're from that. Although you've had quite a storied uh, professional career all the way from New York City to beautiful San Diego. Uh, can you give our listeners a little recap of where you started out? Absolutely. And, How'd you end up in San Diego? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fun story here. So um, actually, right out of college, as you just mentioned, I moved to New York City and I worked at a um, outpatient physical therapy clinic um, in Midtown East and honestly felt really blessed from the get-go that the individuals I worked for, I felt were already kind of progressive thinking when it came to therapy and movement and whatnot. And it opened my eyes right out of college to maybe looking at things a little bit differently than I had thought I was going to look at them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, from there, I actually headed back to where I'm originally from, which is Erie, Pennsylvania. And again, worked for a hospital um, physical therapy program there, did outreach to high schools and really just had the opportunity to work with a bunch of athletes um, and kind of hone in and refine my assessment skills and what I wanted to do with these teams. And, you know, it would, the, the high school I worked in was in a little bit of a smaller community. And so I got really close with the parents, the coaches, the athletes, and they gave me just so much reign to kind of play around with different like preseason tactics or screening and things like that that I wanted to do. But really everything changed for me when um, a a good friend of mine, uh, it was associated with Lance Gill from Titleist Performance Institute. And I heard him do a speak at one of the NATA conventions and had the opportunity to hang out with him afterwards. And, you know, we just got into this huge discussion about all these possibilities for athletic care and more on the prevention side, instead of, you know, the traditional ATC sometimes kind of be there. And when somebody gets hurt, you jump into action. Um, Well, him and I were speaking more along the lines of what can we do to kind of prevent that injury from the first place. Um, So I had the opportunity to listen to him, which drove me to take my first Titleist um, Performance Institute course, which is their TPI level one course. And mind kind of blown, like from the perspective of, holy crap, there's a lot of things I'm not even looking at with my athletes. So it is a golf specific course, but I first really applied it to my other rotational athletes. So 
uh, my volleyball players, my baseball players, you know, um, really started to hone my skills in from a different assessment category there. And then which led me into, as you just mentioned, SFMA, which is more the healthcare model. So taking those individuals who are experiencing pain and looking at them a little bit more in depth. Well, really what it came down to is I was so pumped up about all these potential ways to improve. And, and you know, I, I kind of faced a little bit of a um, confrontation from some of the people I was working with the hospital, that thought process of like, well, why would we change what we're doing? What we're doing is working right now. And my thought process has always been, why not learn and grow and move forward and, you know, continually build upon myself. And so at that time, an opportunity came up to move out to San Diego and to work with another individual in her current business, but also do some consulting work at Titleist um, with Greg Rose and Lance Gill. And I was like, how do you turn that down? Right? Like that's yeah, I'm big sure when they said, we'd like you to come out to Sandy and they didn't have to finish the Diego part. And you're like, I'm on my way. <laughs> exactly. Right now. Yeah. Exactly. So I packed up, I drove out to California and it's kind of been a, a, a fun little story since then in the last 10 years since I've been here, I've had the opportunity to work at Titleist um, with those folks. I've had the opportunity to expand my role with functional movement systems. So I've, taken over the role of um, business management for the SFMA side of functional movement systems, as well as a content developer for all of our uh, systems. But I also still um, work with individuals, people in pain. I have a, a business that I function out of San Diego Premier Training, which is a local gym in Carlsbad, California. And um, I've just had the opportunity from the very beginning to be surrounded by some just awesome you know, strength and conditioning coaches, fitness individuals that really absorbed what I did, wanted to build off what they did. So they got FMS certified. And then we kind of just have this integrated business, I guess you could say, um, in Carlsbad that worked out for both of us. And for those who don't know, uh, that Carlsbad's in North County, San Diego, which per capita might be the most active population in the United States, right? I mean, just the number of people training for a triathlon riding bikes, swimming, surfing, running, working out is, it's got to be more than 80% of the population is currently doing a workout. Yeah. You know, I sometimes joke that no matter what time of day I go driving somewhere, there's just so many people outside that it makes me wonder if anybody works Um, because it doesn't matter the day or or time. But yeah, so it's a very active community out here. Yeah. So you you guys definitely get to see a lot of uh, active folks. So I, I want to go back because I, I love, you know, I'm a huge believer in the SFMA. And I remember when I had that like mind explosion and I, I remember the feeling of like, oh my God, I'm looking at this problem totally wrong. <laughs> like, I can't believe that people have actually paid me money up to this point. I've been robbing them blind. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same kind of thought. Actually, mine was more like, oh my God, I could have helped these people so much more <laughs> than oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, in my first manual, I wrote little names, like in the margins, little na- the names of people where I was like, I wonder if this is, you know, what, what I missed in Michelle or what I missed in Trevor. Or like, I wonder if this would help Nancy. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that's, there's this advantage of like taking the SFMA after you've done other things for a long time, because then you realize, oh, wow, I, I may, might not have screwed all those people up. But then I also think like, it's great. Like, as you know, I've taught this at a chiropractic college. It's great when people do this from the beginning. Although I don't know if they have the emotional impact of screwing people up enough. To, like, <laughs> that's very true. Up. Yeah. That's I wish true. I could say that nicer. I didn't want anybody to screw anybody up. But um, when, when you went back and the first time you really, you know, understood the SFMA, 
went back with your populations as before the San Diego move. Can you remember any of those situations where you took a totally different approach or maybe had totally different outcomes than what you kind of assumed you'd have on the front end? Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember one of the first people I applied this to was one of my um, female basketball players who had torn her ACL. And, you know, like a lot of high school female athletes, it was a non-contact injury, you know, ended up surgical procedure, whatnot. And something that Greg said um, at one of the courses I took was simply, like, we do a great job of rehabbing them back to where they were when they got injured. We don't necessarily go beyond that. And that kind of resonated with me, you know, this girl was a very talented um, athlete who went on into college and even into the WNBA. And, you know, you have those moments where you're just like, how can I help this individual not end up in this situation again? So, you know, we were, you know, of course, at that time, we had that thought, the joint above and below approach. So, you know, we're doing knee rehab, but we're doing ankle and hip, but it made me look at like, okay, what's going on in your thorax? What's going on? And I took her and she was my really, she was kind of like my um, first, trial, I guess you could say, into how I was going to implement this. And it was just so cool to see how what we were doing for her knee and hip and ankle just improved so much more when I started addressing some of the other factors, especially like the opposite limb. You know, like sometimes we just don't even think that maybe that was the cause in the first place. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure that's also the, uh, you know, you're doing a good job when you start getting the strange looks from everybody who's treating around you. And you're like, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you working on her shoulder? Oh, absolutely. You know, she's post ACL and they're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're basically saying that, uh, you help you, you basically put that girl into the WNBA is what. <laughs> no, what I'm not. Yeah. I think her, that's her, why I wanted her, to have you on. Cause you're, you're you know, a professional. I think, her, I think her talent, um, is what actually took well, her, but <laughs> 51, 49, whatever you want to say. That's <laughs> Yeah. So, so, uh, because I know the story, I want to just kind of go down here. So then you move out to, so you're working with kind of the standard orthopedic outpatient population, right? You're seeing a lot of, I'm guessing like high schoolers and then, uh, people that strain muscles and sprain joints along the way. And then you move out to San Diego and you move out to T- you start out at TPI at a time when, uh, there weren't any schlubs walking in that place, right? I mean, like <laughs> you saw... So you saw some of the highest level golfers in the world. Um, and, and what did you learn then when you kind of started with that population? You know, what I really learned was that, yeah, we have this like ideal of what we expect perfect movement to be or functional movement to be. But there are so many people who are really good athletes who fall on every level of that spectrum of what we would consider functional And, you know, they're just so talented that sometimes they have the ability to bypass whatever that limitation is and adapt it. Or most importantly, we figured out what, what were they physically capable of doing instead of trying to match them up with what this ideal swing or what this ideal, whatever your sport may be, should look like. And that was really like what helped me transfer that even to my, like my weekend warriors and my clientele, my personal clientele is you know, not everybody's going to move perfect and that's not our goal, but our goal is to figure out what's causing stress in your system, minimize that stress and allow you to be the most effective at whatever it is that you love. Um, whether it be, you know, golf or, you know, just running, uh, which I don't understand at all, but there's a lot of people out there that love to run. Um, but giving them the opportunity to be successful by identifying what they're capable of doing. And that was the biggest, I think, 
lesson I learned when I first, you know, Greg Rose is great at that. Like what, what should you be doing in your swing? Because this is what you're capable of physically. And it was kind of just like, wow, instead of approaching it from this cookie cutter perspective of everybody should be able to do this, let's take a look at what you're able to do. Where can I make improvements and how do we integrate that into what you love to do? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, uh, that, that at that time having Greg there to kind of talk things through, cause he was a great explainer was great. And I would just imagine that, uh, you know, as people come through, one thing I've seen in professional athletes is you realize too, that they are struggling with the same issues that the people in your orthopedic outpatient were dealing with. Just, it's just holding them back from winning, say a couple million dollars instead of, you know, finishing the day without pain. Yeah. I remember Josh, there was this one time, um, the TPI staff was in Orlando for the PGA show and I got a call that said, Hey, can you go in and can you take a look at this player there in town? Cause, um, the tournament at Tory Pines was going on and, um, went in and I took a look at this player and the player looked at me and he's like, so I just need to know, are you telling me, can I play this weekend or can I not play this weekend? <laughs> and I remember having that thought like, Holy crap, I don't think I'm qualified to tell you, you know, like, and, and the question comes down to is, do you need to make money this weekend or is it okay for you not to make money this weekend? Cause if you need to make money, then we can definitely do stuff to help you get through this weekend. If you don't, we'll maybe taking some time off. And like, that was the first time that I was like, this is a whole nother world right now. And I remember I, I called up, I think Greg, and I was like, this is what I found. And this is what he asked me. And I don't know if I'm the person who should be telling him to play or not play right now. It was definitely, you know, getting my feet wet by a trial and error there. <laughs> yeah. Your yes or no is worth, you know, $800,000 at that point. Like. Correct. And you know, you check get, on my answer here. <laughs> yeah. You get more confident as you get more experience, obviously, but when you're first entering that realm, it's, it's definitely somebody's future and success is kind of like based on your recommendation. It's a very humbling moment. And, and I think, you know, just, you know, you, I know, you know, a couple, uh, several of the other folks that, you know, we're good friends with, we just have an appreciation for the fact that they trust us to help us help them make those decisions. And that was just, such a pivotal moment for me in my career being like, okay, you know what? You do know enough to be able to help this person make this decision. Yeah. And it's based on, sorry, it was based on fact. It wasn't based on what I thought from a, like, Oh, I don't know. You might get hurt. You might like, I was able to take an assessment, a screen, some valid data and say, this is why I think this is a good idea or this is why I think you should hold off. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great place to dive in because for those who, those folks who have taken the SFMA, I hope it was as impactful for you as it was for me. And those people are listening and maybe you're thinking about it or you don't quite understand. I want to dive down to some details about it to maybe tell you why. <laughs> if there's one thing you do after this podcast, just please sign up for a course. <laughs> <laughs> We're, I don't want to make this a blatant sales pitch, but as blatant as I can make it. Uh, one of the things I, I appreciate about the SFMA after learning it was that like when you're saying you, you base it on data, that we're going to check a lot of data points to say, are they good to go or not for various reasons, but just, you know, are these different joints and movements good to go or are they not? Whereas a lot of times you examine, you know, you do one thing and you have to extrapolate data. So like, I'll just say, if you're checking somebody's reflexes, whether you get a positive or negative result there or whatever you're expecting, you still got to make some leaps and bounds to think, is there a neurological issue here? Right. At maybe the extreme ends of that, at especially like if they're, they have, you know, you tap on it and they have hyperreflexia with clonus or something. Okay. Like you can assume that there's a neurological issue, but a plus two or plus three or plus one, like that doesn't tell you a lot. 
With the SFMA, one of the things I love is that you, it systematically trains you to go, no matter what you're complaining of, back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, I'm going to go down this list and I'm going to check, check you head to toe and basically involve every single joint in your body just in case, just by the possibility that something else is involved. When you started doing that, Michelle, not even with the professionals, just in general, how many times did you come across uh, something you totally didn't expect because you, you know, in that ACL rehab, you did decide to check the thoracic rotation? Oh, man, Josh. I mean, I still come across times where, you know, like, I, I think we all fall in that trap of making assumptions when people walk through your door, or you watch them walk, or you watch them do a couple moves of that you know what it's going to be. And then, uh, you know, now, thankfully, I don't act on those assumptions. I just continue with my process, go through the step by step. And I'm still on a very regular basis going, man, I did not see that one coming, you know, and, and uh, it, it's kind of like a funny joke with some of my clients and I know because they'll come in and be like, oh, you know, my right knee is bothering me a little bit, but I'm sure you're going to tell me that it's my left hip or my, my big toe or my neck or something like that. So they get it too a little bit, but you know, what you're really talking about is that regional interdependence. And I never really truly appreciated it um, as much as I did when I took my first SFMA course. Because I really, when you start to take your bias out of what you think you should treat and you just let your diagnostic process um, guide that, you really start to see some truly like incredible changes with individuals. And not to say that, you know, if I just treated the right knee, I wouldn't see positive results. But long term, you know, my goal is to have my clients come back and see me as the least amount as possible. I know that's probably mind blowing to some people, but I really like trying and make it so that I don't, I don't have to see them two times a week or three times a week from a healthcare perspective. If they want to come in for different reasons and that's, you know, a different conversation. But my goal is just to minimize their visits so that I can be pretty effective as quickly as I can. And, you know, the SFMA allows me to do that. Um, one of the first things I, I truly like what, what bought me into the whole functional movement systems, you know, hierarchy is they weren't telling me I had to treat a certain way. They weren't saying, use this technique. Our technique is the best. Use, you know, this technique for tissue or joint or whatever. Or here's a tool that you should use to, you know, increase tissue sensibility. Whatever it may be, they were basically like, we don't care what tool you use as long as you're using it in the right place. And that for me, I was like, wow. So diagnostics is the most important thing, not all these cool little tricks I have in my tool belt, right? And I was just kind of, that was where I originally was like, this is the first course that's teaching me to be a better practitioner because I, it's giving me a roadmap to what I should be treating and the tools that I already have. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and that brings up two points, but you know, it's, it's for me early on when I took it, it was great because for whatever reason, the rooms that I was going into, there was like a couple other chiropractors. I mean, there weren't a lot of chiropractors. It was mostly PTs. And, but when we kind of filtered through and said, we all agree that this is a, just, you know, a problem in the rectus femoris, what would you do? And it was, we're not too far off on what we're going to do here. Maybe you use a, you know, the back of a butter knife and I use my hands and somebody else at that time, no chiropractors were doing dry needling because they just weren't, their scope didn't include it. And only a few PTs did, but all right, we're, we're all saying the same thing here, right? We just need to lengthen or, or somehow get that uh, more extensibility in that rectus femoris. And it was like, yeah, well, we all agree. Like, and I always laugh because, you know, when it comes to joint stuff, sometimes chiros and PTs are saying the same effect, but just a different language. 
Um, but in the end, I was like, oh man, I can totally get along with, I can totally get along with this. You know, I'm trying to think of, you know, Anthony, one of our, our, our mutual friends. Um, like he's saying the same thing I am. We, we all agree here. This isn't a big deal, right? So I, I love that. The other thing is the specificity of when you get down to that target area or that, you know, center of the bullseye. Uh, when you were, so when you were a TPI, I know that a lot of times or in Orlando, you get tasked with, hey, we basically need you to do everything you can for this person and they're flying out of here in four and a half hours on a private jet. So, you know, everything you can, just do it as fast as possible, you know? Um, do you have any great stories of a time where you you were able to kind of reduce it down to a single area and just how fast you saw results with that? Yeah, I mean, um, I have, I mean, honestly, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't with a golfer at TPI, but it was with a high-level athlete. Um, who is a runner. She's young. Um, you know, I recall she's about 29 years old. She's having like tremendous foot and ankle pain to the point where it was limiting her from being able to run any longer. Um, I was the seventh healthcare practitioner she came to see. Seven. Wow. And she was, yeah. So you can imagine like- say, this, get a seventh opinion, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is somebody who was honestly borderline depressed too. You know, like yeah. what they love to do, you know, not to mention like we're in this stay at home, you know, time period where running was probably her mental release on top of just a training aspect and whatnot. So she came in and, you know, she told me her foot and ankle, she told me treatments that she's been getting. And, you know, I listened and I thought about it, but it didn't dictate what I did. I just, you know, started with, you know, my neuro and ortho screening. And then I went ahead and I start with the SFMA and what I really ended up, my basic findings was a huge asymmetry um, in hip extension, um, wow. tibial external rotation of that affected limb and dorsiflexion and eversion of that, that affected limb were both, were all mobility dysfunction. And, you know, at that point, something else I think people neglect is, you know, they hear that and they just start treating those areas that I just talked about. But, you know, at SFMA, we always say, you've got to go that extra step. You have to do your local biomechanical examination. And so I did that. And in my head, I was already thinking, oh, I'm going to be treating this hip. Like the, the, the asymmetry, like her favor was so asymmetrical that I'm like, this is the problem. Like this has to be the problem. It's creating a rotation and whatever. And so I went about and I did my like joint play at her hip and it was moving totally fine. Like her, she was translating in all directions and all planes. No problem there. Went down to the foot ankle, found some very slight kind of, um, movements you know of her of her bones if we're talking about joint play that that weren't working but really went up to the how the tibia was moving on the femur because you know her external rotation and that is where I found my biggest limitation was how that tibia was moving in relation to her femur and I did one quick like mobilization uh, at her tibia and it changed her favor into becoming functional. It changed her thorax extension rotation. It changed her ankle dorsiflexion, ever like it changed everything. So I went and I found this one specific thing. I just followed the process. I didn't let my assumptions, you know, guide me on that into treatment. I followed this guideline or this assessment process and I ended up did one treatment and she ran five miles the next day without pain. And you want to talk about just like the mental side of it too. And I always tell people, I, I've talked about this in some discussion groups that we've done, that I'm not any better of a therapist than anybody I know. Like my, my treatment techniques aren't any better. I don't have a secret sauce that, you know, like I'm not sharing with anybody or anything like that. It was really simply that I looked at her as an entire organism instead of just looking at her foot and ankle. 
um, or even the hip when it was so asymmetrical, automatically defaulting to treating that. It was just responding to what something else wasn't doing. And Mm -hmm. for me, um, that was my most recent kind of like moment that kind of keeps me going, like reinforces like this is how you help people in the most effective way and the fastest. Yeah. I mean, for our listeners, I would totally, totally agree. Michelle is average. I mean, at best, she's an average treater. Like, uh, thanks, Josh. Yeah. Oh, that's what you're pointing <laughs> out. Absolutely. Just, I'm just kidding. But one thing for, I mean, is, I think it's really important uh, because not only does that just, it feels good when you, when you're a help, when you're a provider, serving that person and truly changing them that day towards their goal is incredibly rewarding I mean, you do that visit for free, right? Like you, you, there's no expectation of getting paid. It's like, oh my God, this is exactly why I went into this. But the other side of the coin is like, when you take the time to do a few extra tests and you're not talking about a lot of extra tests, you'd already done a favor, you'd already done tibial rotation, right? Just, yeah. But to just do the extra localized joint play took five minutes to cover the entire lower limb. Am I right? I mean, yeah, maybe less, honestly. Yeah. yeah, and when you take that time that patient is so impressed that win, lose, or draw, they, I'm sure they're already coming back to you because you're the only, how many times have you heard, you're the only person that ever looked at any of this stuff? Oh, so many times. Yeah. yeah. And then you take that extra time to know like, hey, this one thing is going to make a big change and you do that, they're blown away because their thought is, I'm sure they're telling, that w- woman's telling her friends like, no, Michelle just did this little tiny thing on my knee and boom, all my pain went away. And it it's like the stories like, uh, you know, that they, that, almost sound unbelievable when you, when you tell them outside of that, you know, Absolutely. It, it is, you know, and, and not everybody, uh, you know, is that easy, you know, like to identify, you know, that mm-hmm. maybe they need more than one area of work or that affects everything. But when you have those moments and yeah, that this individual, I think has sent me like four of her friends, you know, just in it's word of mouth is in itself the best, but I hear all the time, like nobody's ever looked at it, you know, my whole body, yeah. the, the way that you look at it. And, and it is, it's just, I think sometimes we dismiss how, how sensitive those, our entire system is, how integrative all of our, you know, the neurological system, the musculoskeletal, how they're all ingrained with each other. I mean, I recently took some visceral courses, you know, how the viscera affects, you know, movement and how we move and dietary, like playing, bringing all that into play, I think is so important when we look at an individual and try and figure out what is creating stress or that pain um, that they're dealing with. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, the only downside to her sending those four people in, they, they all want you to do one thing that completely uh, yeah. pain and changes everything, right? <laughs> oh, I have a great story. You'll appreciate this. I had a gentleman come in, this is years ago. He was a golfer and uh, he was referred to me actually by a, chiro- a local chiropractor and they had told me he's primarily motor control. You're, you're much better at that than me. I want you to take a look at him. It's not that I didn't believe this referring, you know, clinician, but I did my own SFMA and Albeit, you know, this was a 52 year old man who had motor control, meaning he had all the adequate range of motion, but he just wasn't able to control it of his spine, of his hip, whatever it may be. And I took him to um, our rolling assessment or in our rolling exercises, um, which just is that kind of fundamental level of uh, establishing can they control their, their spine, their body, their limbs, right? And he wasn't able to do it. And so we spent the session kind of getting him to the point where he was able to do it. He went home, um, he was rolling. Now, mind you, this individual had had back pain, um, especially while golfing for like 10 years, you know, like he was struggling through it, but he had constantly had it. 
And after that one session, he no longer had back pain. He was forever going to be a roller. He told all his friends about me. They all came in and they are all just mobility dysfunctions from head to toe. And I had to sit down <laughs> and be like, you just need to understand, like, this is not going to work for them the way that you're like that one in a hundred person that like fell into that category of like, Hey, we can fix this really quickly. I had a very similar experience. I, I had a woman come in that looked, acted, walked, tested like she had a like disc pathology at L4-5. I mean, like everything bent over, could, you know, hands on her legs. And as I do with everybody, ran her through the SFMA. And the biggest glaring thing was this, uh, this uh, COC1 uh, mobility restriction way up in her cervical spine. I mean, like almost as far away as you could get from where her pain was. And I said, like, Lisa, what did you do? Like, and yeah, I'm like, cause I, I didn't even believe my test results. I'm like, what did you do? Like, tell me the mechanism that you jacked yourself up here because that's, you know, if you said I was moving boxes or something, I'm going to go more local. Like, cause it's so hard. And she's like, I don't know. I fell asleep on the couch last night. I woke up this morning when I sat up on the couch, I can't move. And I'm like, there is no MOI that makes sense here. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to trust these findings, right? So I just like do some testing of her neck. And it was like, this is a perfect chiropractic adjustment case right here. <laughs> I, I adjust her COC1. It essentially explodes in my hands. And as soon as, as soon as like I stop for a second and she goes, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, it's all gone. Oh, thank God. And she like now, this is a woman who was super intelligent and like did, could not move. She stands up, bends back, bends forward, touches her toes, does a little twist to the right, twist to the left. Oh, thanks so much. And I'm like trying my best to maintain a poker face <laughs> of like what the F just happened. Like this does not make sense with my, you know, with yeah. my brain. So I was like, awesome, Lisa. It's exactly what I thought would happen. She walks away. I'm sitting there with my head in my hands like, oh my God, this is crazy. So a week later, she sends in her friend. She was a um, makeup artist like on the Las Vegas Strip for shows. She sends in her friend and her friend says, yeah, Lisa says you can get rid of my pain that you're just going <laughs> to my neck. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I do. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, we'll put everybody through an exam and we find out that they, well, Lisa said to make sure you do that neck thing. I'm like, oh God. So isn't it amazing though? Like what you just said is like we know a lot about the human body and there's a lot of research and a lot of data, but there's so much we don't know about how things yeah. are connected. And, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Like why, I, like if I adjust your SC joint and all of a sudden now your ankle moves or whatever it may be, like it's so hard or a far stretch sometimes. But what I've really in the last probably five years and especially just accepted is I don't necessarily need to understand <laughs> how things are affecting yep. each other. I'm just seeing changes and people are experiencing yeah. and feeling those changes. Because yeah, used I, a logical system to get there. 100% agree with you. I think it's funny as you go through too, and sometimes I'll see treatment modalities or treatment protocols. And in my thought, I go, oh, you just, you don't know it, but you ended up in that bucket. One, You got the one in a thousand patient off the bat. So you think this works yeah. on everybody. Yeah. Like we need to flip this and just find out who fits into this bucket really well. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes I'm like, I'm sure this works, but I'm telling you, this is not going to work for that person. Yeah. I, like I'm sure this treatment that you're describing and like showing like this works, but doesn't work on everybody. And well, and honestly, just like doing a test retest, right? Like helps you 
Like, yeah. honestly, like, I'll, I'll treat some of my people and then, like, maybe we'll do an activity or a reinforcement or exercise or whatever. And I always still retest again to make sure what we just did didn't was the appropriate thing. It didn't screw anything up or, you know, it, hopefully it made it better, you know. But, like, I think that's a neglected area, too, in our professions is when you touch somebody or you do something, you should be rechecking. And you shouldn't be doing six or seven techniques and then rechecking, you should do one or two recheck, you know, and kind of build off of that. And I'll say, I don't, I don't know about you, but still like one out of 20 or 25 times, I'll do something. And I'm like, what, that didn't change it. What, why? Yeah. And it, it's like, and that offers you information too. Like that should have improved your thoracic rotation. Why did not that, that, you know, why didn't that yeah. work? And then, you know, you start going down your list and you know, it's, it's, it's fun, but it is definitely, it definitely takes brain power to, to do that because you have to say like, what is, what is the system telling me right now? You know, chiropractic. Okay. They couldn't turn to the right and it felt like it was thoracic, uh, costal vertebral joints. All right. I manipulated those. They still can't turn to the right. It still feels like a mobilization, a mo- mobility restriction. What is that telling me? And then like, okay, the, the number one thing I get to is don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't pound on it for a fourth time. Yeah. But it's just funny. It's it's fun. It's amazing. But it's, and I have no idea sometimes why certain people are like, I'm sure this is going to work. And usually when I feel very strongly about it working is the time it doesn't work, yeah. which I'm sure is God just like coming down and like and messing with me, you know, for fun. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because sometimes it takes such a little amount of motion. Like I'm interested in your runner girl. Uh, the, I'm going to guess the mobilization you did was nothing spectacular right it wasn't like some named maneuver or something no, remember I'm just an average uh, clinician oh that's right so yeah. it was, it was uh, you know I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with um Benad on a wash up in Canada and some it was a little bit more of like that osteopathic kind of technique a little gentle you know mobilization or whatnot and mm-hmm. I just get really good results of that so it wasn't anything intense it wasn't anything prolonged it was actually fairly quick and and you could tell like I don't know if you could like when somebody's body just is looking for that release or want like that individual you just talked yeah. about, like that's just what they've been looking for. And she was that person from the like moment I did it, you could just feel like the tension all throughout the lower limb kind of change. Hey, you might hear me talk about our app and I want to introduce you to the company who built our app and that is Membrant. Membrant does nothing but design custom apps for small business owners like yourself. So how powerful is this? Well, if you had a custom app, you can deliver information to the phone of your patients in a way that helps them stay connected to you and your brand. So it could be videos, recipes, advice, articles, and these aren't ones that are on YouTube for everybody to see. These are dialed in specific to people that are on your list. Now you could use this for marketing. You could also use this for patient care and people could access certain exercises that are designed specifically for them and their case within the app that has your company's logo, your branding, and everything about it on there. So if you're interested, go ahead and check out membrant.com. That's membrant with a D, like Rembrandt, membrant.com, or check it out in the show notes and we should have a link there. If you have any questions, hit me up because I think they're doing an amazing thing and it's one more way to provide better care and make a little bit more money while giving your patients what they want, which is that information and access to you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was talking about this with another uh, instructor at one point who's also a chiropractor. And we were saying that like, when you, you're going through chiropractic college, a lot of times you hear people or they, they speak and they're making some pretty 
bold claims and they're using language that you're like, eh, just something about this is bugging me. Like what you said, the person's just, their body's just looking for that, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you do all this work and come back around this huge circle and you come back to, yeah, their, their body's just kind of looking for the emotion. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want any young providers listening to think that it's just a short jump from that. You got to prove it to yourself a lot, but I would agree that a lot of times you end up at something where you're like, I don't know, man, my, my gut instinct is pushed this way with a little bit of rotation and it worked, you know? Yeah, well, you know what, it is your gut instinct, but you know, Josh, you've been at this for quite some time, you know, I won't, you, you know, you're only what 30. So you've been at it for about eight years. Exactly. Thank you. Um, um, but there's a, a clinical intuition and that comes from like our touch, right? Like when we have our hands on somebody, we're not just assessing their range of motion. Like you're assessing the quality of that range. Like, do you feel that there's a pull coming from one place or another? Like, we're not just going through the motions. Like, you know, as you become more experienced of a clinician, like you're paying attention, whether you know it or not, to like mm-hmm. how the rest of their body is responding to whatever you're doing. And I think you know, people just kind of say, well, it was my gut to do that. But that gut is based off of experience and intuition and you might not even recognize you're yeah. doing it, you know? Yeah, I think that's that, that also works for the, uh, the gut instinct of, you know, the SFMA will show you movement issues, but there's sometimes where you're, you realize that's secondary to something else. Oh, yeah. And, and you're like, this isn't responding like it should or something's not right here. I know you have a great story. Can you tell uh, about that woman that you... We're testing and she kept moving the same way. Um, are you talking about me? <laughs> no. Uh, didn't you have a patient that you basically, because I think one thing that early on people take the SFMA, they think it's like the solution to everything. And, and just like anything else, it works for a very specific type of issue. But I thought you had a woman that kept failing the single limb stance or the balance um, portion of the single limb stance breakout for uh, a non-musculoskeletal reason. Oh, so I think I know, I, talk, I have two kind of examples for you here. Um, the one uh, client that I had, and if, if this isn't what you're talking about, let me, let me know. Well, you but, can use yourself as an example a little later too. Cause yeah, I have a good story on that as too. As long as you include the MOI. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so uh, she came in and, you know, I think this is what you're talking about. She screened positive for a potential vestibular dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I have that, I don't stop, drop and refer out right away. I continue forward with my assessment and, you know, start to take a look at my mobility findings and even start to provide treatment on those mobility findings. And with this specific individual, I started doing just some very gentle mobility work on her cervical spine and her thorax. And she got almost immediately ill, um, dizzy, nauseous, couldn't couldn't really stand up, was, you know, afraid to move and, and whatnot. And uh, to the point I had to call her husband um, to, you know, come in. We're not talking about, you didn't blast her cervical spine like crazy. Not at all. No, it was very gentle tissue work. It wasn't even joint related work. And, but really I just disrupt her whole system. Right. And, um, Mm -hmm. and what we find is with people with true vestibular dysfunctions, like their dysfunctions come from the fact they're just trying to stay upright all day. Right. And when you disrupt those, you create havoc in the system. Well, this individual in particular, um, just tremendously fast decline into a terrible area. And so she ended up going, um, referred her out to a vestibular specialist, medical doctor or whatnot. 
And she ended up, it wasn't even vestibular dysfunction. She ended up having a brain tumor and had surgery a week later. Um, so in her case, you know, like changing some of her mobility highlighted how she was compensating or protecting herself really from something that was going on. Um, so it was well out of the realms of a musculoskeletal problem. And I wouldn't have known that actually if I wouldn't have changed some of her mobility and if she wouldn't have declined so quickly. So like, it's not always a terrible thing. I mean, obviously that's not what we want, but it highlighted the fact that, wow, this is not a me solution. This is something else, a bigger issue that you need to go get looked at. I don't know if that's the one you're talking about. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Just out of curiosity, what what was the reason she showed up? What was her main complaint when she walked in? Was it the neck or something? Oh gosh, yeah, this is probably like eight years ago, but I want to say she, it was, um, I want to say it was uh, neck related tension, you know, like just, you know, uh, I think I had to remember, I think it was just like she couldn't turn her head you know, yeah. which again, she was protecting herself. Like the body's crazy in what it's capable of doing. Now, the other case, um, and I won't be talking about the mechanism of injury, but we'll just <laughs> leave it as simply as um, this individual, myself, um, has had five concussions. And the last concussion was actually pretty significant. Um, long story short, I was knocked backwards and hit my head on a cement step. And immediately, I guess, apparently jumped up and was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, I have no recollection of that or the right. two days you're following. you're just about 1% competitive, especially with yourself, right? So. <laughs> exactly. I was fine. I'm pretty sure. I was fine. Well, I, you know, knowing being an athletic trainer and having concussion management, you know, protocols in place, like, it's very interesting to be the person who's concussed because you're trying to think logically, but at the same time, you're very illogical. So I actually flew the following weekend. Um, across the country to teach an SFMA course. And I remember getting there and I was actually with Rob Butler and I remember getting off the plane and driving and being like, I think this was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Like I was seeing double, I couldn't, you know, like my vision wasn't there. Like it, it was very dangerous and stupid of me. But the biggest indication that I knew something was wrong for any of you who know Rob Butler is we had gone out to dinner and he's very protective of his desserts. And, you know, this was a salted caramel brownie Sunday, which I remember specifically. And out of character for me, I just reached over and I took this huge bite of his brownie and he just looked at me. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have no idea. And that was where I was like, wow, I'm really, my head is messed up. I just ate Rob Butler's dessert right there. <laughs> That's not appropriate. Um, so I ended up coming back and, you know, I struggled for a long time. I had a lot of great people looking after me and trying to improve my movement and trying to get me move forward. And really, it was probably about a year and a half after um, the initial incident um, that we were at the World Golf Fitness Summer Summit. I think you were actually there. And I was going into a meeting with a company, um, a vibration plate, and I wasn't even thinking and I got up on the plate and I tested out and whatnot. And I remember uh, Dr. Jimmy Ewan looks at me. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I don't think I am. And like, apparently I turned like sheet white and I was about ready to pass out. They took me off it. They took me to the back of the room and Dr. Ernst Wick, um, one of our orthopedic guys from over in uh, Austria came in to take a look at me. And he said something to me that honestly changed my life. He did an assessment on me, did an evaluation. And he said, Michelle, this is not musculoskeletal. This is your neurosystem. This is a neuroemotional response. Like you're holding all this tension. He's like, I really think you need to see somebody who can do some neuroemotional therapy or techniques on you and in what they call injury recall technique. So basically, 
your brain holds on to an episode of injury and then you go into this shell of a protection, right? And you know what? I, I trust Ernst. He's, he's one of the smartest people I know. And I said, okay, help me find somebody. We found somebody locally and I went and they did some of these techniques on me. And it was amazing how just my movement changed. My mental status changed. Everything changed because I was able to finally let go of, you know, all this like fear. Cause that's really what I was walking around with was fear. So again, not a musculoskeletal problem started as that, but ultimately became, you know, a different part of my anatomy was the problem there. Yeah. It's crazy. Especially, you know, I mean, you've taught more SFMAs than anybody on the planet at this point in your life. Right. And it's like the, the diagnosis for you didn't fit into this class that, you know, that you've taught. And I just come, I mean, how blessed are you that the moment you had the worst reaction, you happen to have a bunch of providers on site who had literally flown from all over the world to be there at that moment. You know, like Ernst isn't in the country all the time. Yeah. And, and uh, able to, to have that be the time that you get the biggest flare up. But then also uh, the, the fact that, you know, we have to sometimes admit that like whatever tools we're bringing to the table, aren't the ones we need right now. And I think that's the, measure of a great experienced clinician versus when you're young, you typically, I would, at least I did, you hold on to stuff you shouldn't be holding on to. You're not referring yeah. out everything you should. And, and, you know, some people look at, I think early on your referral seems like you're giving up and it's, it's not that at all. You know, you're trying to create more inclusive care. So. And those people value you even more when you do those referrals. And, what, and I think, you know, you said something earlier that I think important to Kind of right, you're not on. average, all right? Jeez, I'm <laughs> about that. That, but, oh. but I uh, really it comes down to is not being scared to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So if you do a treatment on somebody because you thought it was going to work or, you know, generally works and it didn't work, not feeling deflated, not feeling like you miss, you know, just recognizing that, you know, maybe that wasn't the appropriate choice for them and kind of trying something different. It's okay to not be perfect every time with your treatment, you know, just, but use that test retest to make sure that you are making changes and, and adjust your treatment. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, when you were uh, dealing with the worst of the symptoms of your last concussion, how would they manifest themselves in a way that did they look musculoskeletal a lot? I mean, oh, a lot of- yeah. I would uh, like, um, it was in particular, my, like my right multi-segmental rotation, so total body rotation would just almost be nothing. Like I wouldn't be able to rotate my cervical rotation. Um, uh, and then it came down into like my hip and even some lower back pain. And you would have low back pain, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. It wasn't constant, but it was intermittent, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just bring that up because I'm sure a lot of people have somebody dealing with something similar or some neurologically driven um, uh, issue that are walking into your office. And when they don't make sense, when you do your test retest, it's okay to say like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm, I don't know why it's sometimes difficult though, to take that next step to find out who might know why. Yeah, exactly. But that goes back to, you know, like not being afraid to create your networks and your communities and Mm -hmm. find professionals who specialize in different things. And, you know, you can become a good referral source for them, but they can become a good one for you too. And once everybody feels comfortable with the fact that like, this is, you know, Josh's specialty, like I'm going to send this to him and, you know, they know they can come to me for that. Like it's a pretty cool inner working that you can have. Yeah. 
I'm just going to, I'd bet a lot of money that 10 years ago, there was not a neuroemotional provider on your. Oh no, there definitely wasn't, but I've probably <laughs> sent five or six people to him. So yeah. um, in the last, you know, just even two years itself, um, cause it, it just makes such a big difference. So yeah, we had an issue with my son when he was very young and, um, a friend of mine I happened to be talking to graduated chiropractic college at the same time as me. And he said, yeah, that's an, that's an emotional thing. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just, that's what it is. And I'm like, yeah. now at this point we'd done like all sorts of GI issue studies and brain MRIs and all this stuff and went down to that dude's office. And two hours later, my son was basically had no symptoms anymore. So up to that point, I would not have been kind to that opinion. And after that point, I'm like, as you said earlier, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know anything about the body. Whatever we think we know will be the period at the end of a sentence written about the human body. But uh, it certainly is fun to understand the parts that we do know or as absolutely. best we can right now. Yeah, know. absolutely. Well, um, as part of my blatant sales pitch, because story time's over, folks. Now we got to move on to business. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, so we're talking uh, uh, basically mid or mid August right now. This will probably be released in a couple of weeks. Um, wh- what options do people have if they're interested in the SFMA? Yeah, right now, just due obviously to the pandemic that's going on, um, we've actually suspended all of our live courses for 2020, mm-hmm. um, just for the safety of our attendees, but also the safety of our instructors. And for the fact, the whole point and fun of coming to a live course is the interaction, the practice and whatnot. So we pushed all of our live courses to 2021, and we're really hopeful that we'll be able to carry those out. It's a little um, tough to passively test hip extension and maintain six feet of social distance, right? Correct. Like, absolutely. So we want to make it worth our um, attendees' time to be there so that they can get the best learning experience. So right now what we're doing is we're doing some virtual courses, um, and we have about one a month um, that we're doing, both the SFMA Level 1 and the SFMA Level 2. And these are eight-hour virtual um, courses. Obviously, not ideal for like that in-person practice or whatnot. But we are really um, taking advantage of uh, being our production team and being able to show multiple examples and work through the process and really give you that that baseline knowledge and understanding of why we're doing what we're doing um, without obviously that practice point. Now, anybody who attends that virtual course will have the opportunity to come to a live event for free if they you know, ever would like to actually come and get that practice once we're able to resume that. So there's that added bonus of getting certified from a virtual standpoint, but also being able to come back and attend. And just, I want to make sure that part's clear because I think that's awesome. You pay for this course, you take it virtually now, and then let's say next, I don't know, April, uh, there's a course in Denver and you're like, hey, I can go to that. There's no additional cost to go to that course, right? That's correct. Yeah, as yeah. long as you've taken it with us and um, you're an actual member or certified, you're welcome to come back and what we call audit those courses. For yeah. free. And I know from my first time taking uh, TPI and then retaking it, I think that method actually, you'll have better questions when you show up to the live thing because it's like, hey, I've, I've tried this with a couple of people. It doesn't quite make sense. Can you show me what you mean here rather than learning it and then, not being able to kind of circle back on it. So I'm excited for the learning that produces because I think it, in the end, those people who really take after it and do their best to implement in clinic are going to be asking incredible questions at that live event. Yeah. I mean, I, we haven't, we haven't gone down that road yet, so I'll let you know, but I I anticipate that that would be the case. I mean, even from the fact we have a, um, an online course that we, you know, when you register for a course, you get that and it's four hours with, 
a lot of the content to help just prepare you. So when you come into a live event, um, you're able to not focus so much on our terminology on the flow, but really just get the practice. And we had already seen a tremendous change in questions and experiences once we released that. So um, I have to agree with what you just said. I anticipate that, you know, we're just going to see, we're going to have, people who are much more SFMA um, established, you know, coming into those live courses. Yeah. Plus they're going to be enormous for all the people that you're certifying virtually. <laughs> exactly. Of course they're going to be huge, which is always awesome because the more bodies you see, the more differences you, you see, you know, and it's just like an x-ray where you just need to see your, what are considered normal variants and then what are your path pathologies. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And so people want to find those courses or anything about SFMA, where, where can they find it? Yep, you can visit functionalmovement.com um, and you'll see our course listings right there. We um, Also, if you are currently certified in the SFMA, we do discussion groups for the SFMA level one. So we'd love to have you join in on those too. It's just myself and another instructor sitting down, just having a chat, going over some things, doing some case studies. So we're trying to reach our membership and just be available for everybody during this period of time. So we'd love for you to join in on those too. And those can also be found um, at the course listings at functionalmovement.com. Awesome. Well, Michelle, uh, I think this is great information. I loved your stories. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I, I think I just can't recommend the SFMA highly enough to people out there. It certainly changed my clinical career. I know that it it changed yours. I mean, it changed it enough that you're willing to move across the country and uh, and take it on as a, as a job too. So I, I'm sure it had a big impact on you. Um, so I want to say thank you on behalf of our listeners. And if people want to reach out or they, they have a specific question they want to ask you, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure thing. Yep. My email address is just Michelle at functionalmovement.com. Um, it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E. But don't worry, Michelle with two L's also gets to me. So uh, either way will work. But again, that's Michelle at functionalmovement.com. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, on behalf of Michelle Desser, this is Josh Satterley saying go out there maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.